I think it was Chayel of Tafshan Lamed Zayin, which is about a month before the heart attack. There was a Fabrengen. I remember the Fabrengen. I remember exactly where I was standing. I wasn't next to my father, as I should have been. I was in the back making trouble, as I usually was. I was in front of the shows, behind the, the bleachers. And the Rebbe started singing Samalach Nafshi, which was perfectly normal. The Rebbe sang Samalach Nafshi periodically. But the Rebbe changed the words. And the change that he said was, for anybody with half a brain, absolutely earth-shattering. Instead of saying, He said, Which means, Just like in holiness, I saw you, so I want that now also I should see you. And instead of saying, See you, the Rebbe said, See myself. Then I snagged them up in arms. I, I, just the other day, I was, a Litvak that comes to a shir of mine asked me about it. So I told him, don't you say, goli. I told him when it happened, and he was stunned. The Misnagdim said, you see, the Rebbe once spoke about, as Erez the because he said, I said, you have to understand when it happened. And he was, he was very moved. This was one month before the heart attack. I heard the tape many times. Yeah, I remember the Rebbe, I remember it saying it at the time, I was a little boy. Um, but you can hear the tape, yes. And uh, this was, if I'm not mistaken, this was Chayelu that year, Lamed Zayin. Another thing that happened was that there were a couple of things that changed that Tishrei. Um, number one was this. The Rebbe blew Shoifer, as we all know, the Rebbe blew Shoifer. And... Um, the Rebbe used to blow the first 30 sounds, the first 30 koilis, and the rest of the shoifer sounds, the Rebbe gave Rabbi Tenenbaum, he should blow shoifer. Rabbi Tenenbaum was the Rebbe's king. Now, the din is, when a person blows shoifer, you need to have a makri. That's the halacha. When somebody blows shoifer, somebody has to read it. Just like by Birchas Koyanim, before the Koyan says, the halacha is, before you blow shoifer, someone's supposed to say, this is, a, this is the din of In Chabad, the custom is that you don't say it out loud, but you have somebody who points. Someone who points. When a person is blowing shayfa, somebody stands next to him and points in the siddur. Who pointed in the siddur when the Rebbe blew shayfa? Nobody knows. People suspect that Rabbi Shmuel did. Rabbi Shmuel of Vitten. Shmuel of Vitten was a very, very big chassid. He was very close to the Rebbe in an interesting kind of way. And people say that Rabbi Shmuel was the maki. But Rabbi Shmuel passed away in Tafshan Lamed Alad. <laughs> Four years before. So there's no doubt that Tafshan Lamed Hay, Tafshan Lamed Bob, Tafshan Lamed Zayin, the Rebbe blew Shafer without a makri. And it's possible that before also. Rosh Hashanah in the morning, the Rebbe sent Rabbi Gronin to find Rabbi Tanamah, Tafshan Lamed Ches, to tell him that he should point. The Rebbe wanted he should be the makri, he should point in the Siddur, which was an interesting, a, a little detail, but it's nothing about the Rebbe, it's a little detail. He should point in the Siddur when the Rebbe blew Shafer that Rosh Hashanah, Tafshan Lamed Ches was another small change. Another thing that happened was that during that Tishrei, the Rebbe spoke the same idea that he spoke years later, right after the Rebbe Sin passed away in Tavshin Memches, and even before the Rebbe Sin passed away, and then again, no, in, in, after the Rebbe Sin passed away, which was the whole idea of Asel Kharav and Mashpiyim. Now the same Indian that the Rebbe spoke years later about I don't have any time to answer letters. So therefore, if you want to have an answer, you should have Asel Kharav and Katasi did the Mevinim, and Katas Reifi did the same idea the Rebbe spoke Tishrei Tafshin Memches, and then again, Tu Bishvat Tafshin Memches, and then again, after the Rebbe passed away, Master Shabbos Truma, and then Chafal of Adar, the Rebbe spoke also then Tishrei, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I heard from people. The same idea that I don't have time to answer letters, and Melzom Homa Seilacharav. Now, Hoshana Rabbe, the Rebbe gave Lekach. Kedakia Bakay, the Rebbe gave Lekach all day long. And we know in hindsight that the Rebbe had not been feeling well for a while. For a few weeks, the Rebbe's chest was bothering him. The rumor was that when they examined the Rebbe, his shirt was shredded. His shirt was shredded. The Rebbe had been massaging his chest. The Rebbe understood exactly what was going on with him. He'd been massaging his chest apparently, and he literally shredded his shirt. That's what I heard. The Rebbe stood a whole day and gave lekach, and before Yom Tov he went home. And the Rebbetson called up 770 before Yom Tif and said that the Rebbe doesn't feel well. So that they should accelerate the Hakafas. They should make the Hakafas a little bit quicker. Quicker, schneller. 
I don't even know if people were told about this. The mosquitoes knew that I was not feeling swollen. When it came to our coffers, our coffers started as perfectly normal, regular coffers. And it, as far as I remember, as far as I know, in the middle of the fourth hakafa, the Rebbe didn't feel well. And the Rebbe turned to Rabbi Groner and he said to Rabbi Groner, if it's not too difficult, pre- please bring me the chair. Now the Rebbe had never before asked for his chair by hakafas. The chair was always there. The Rebbe never used it. And here suddenly the Rebbe is asking for his seat. It was a very, very uncomfortable uh, moment. So Label ran, he got the chair. And when he put it behind the Rebbe, he pushed it into the Rebbe's leg so that the Rebbe should know the chair was in. The Rebbe felt, sat down and he, he leaned back in his seat, which was also one characteristic of the Rebbe. He didn't just sit down, but he actually relaxed. And people saw the Rebbe's face. The Rebbe's face was very white and his face had fallen. They saw that the Rebbe was feeling really, really not well and they started to make noise that the Rebbe doesn't feel well and the shul was emptied. I don't know how long it took, but the shul was emptied and all the windows were broken. Every window on the Bible shul was broken because there was no windows in 770. 770 is a windowless room. They wanted to provide air for the Rebbe. Now, some people stayed. I, we have a woman who comes to the castle all the time. She said she stayed for the hack office. But most people went outside. And the Rebbe refused to leave the shul. It was in the middle of our office. He's going to finish the hack office. There were a number of doctors in shul. They were called. They came running. They understood right away that Rebbe is having a heart attack. And uh, there are different stories. One doctor tried to take the Rebbe's pulse. The Rebbe told him he should uh, mind his own business. Another doctor actually took the Rebbe's hat off, that's what I heard, and he started to fan the Rebbe, because when a person has a heart attack, their body overheats, and the Rebbe was amused, and he asked for his hat, he put his hat back on his head. And the bottom line was that the Rebbe finished the Hakafas. He got up, did the fifth Hakafa, did the sixth Hakafa, the Rebbe really wasn't feeling well, it was very, very obvious. The Rebbe was very weak, the Rebbe didn't feel well. But the Rebbe insisted on finishing the Hakafas. Insisted on finishing the Hakafas. Of course, the show was almost empty, and um, everything was very quick. They did Akafas Shniyev. Six very, you know, basically, the Rebbe used to start and finish Akafas very quickly. The Rebbe actually went to his own Akafas to the middle of the shul with the Rashag. And um, the, the Akafas was very, very quick. Rashag used to dance with the Rebbe. And Rashag danced with the Rebbe and looking at the ceiling. So usually, within a minute or two or three, Rashag was very, very dizzy because it's very hard to walk around in a circle and look at a ceiling. So the Rebbe's Akafa was always short because the Rashag would get dizzy. But this time the Rashag got dizzy after like a half a rotation. They stopped. The Rebbe went back to his place. He davened mighty and the Rebbe left the shoe. And the Rebbe went upstairs and he went into his room and he locked the door. And he didn't let people in. And he let people know that he's not feeling well because he stood a whole day on his feet and he'd give him lekach and in the morning he'll be fine. That's how the Rebbe put it. In the morning he'll be fine. But everybody understood that this was much, much more serious and the Rebbe not feeling well. And they tried to get the Rebbe to open the door. And the Rebbe would not open his door. So they got Chana Gerari from upstairs to come downstairs. And she knocked on the door and she called the Rebbe by his name. And she sort of insisted, as a sister-in-law, as a family member, that the Rebbe should open the door. And the Rebbe did. She came into the Rebbe and she started talking to the Rebbe. And the, tri- the Rebbe explained to her that he's really, really very fine. But then he's a Bishalafamatet. And we're going to the say that. The, the story was when she came into the Rebbe's room, the Rebbe's room was just Svarim all over the place. And there was no place for her to sit down. So the Rebbe picked up a pile of Svarim, a very big pile of Svarim from a chair and put them on the desks so she would have a place to sit. And, and, and I mean, in, in the Rebbe's condition, there was a very, very superhuman effort. When she walked out of the Rebbe's room, the Rebbe tried to close his door again. And they put, someone put his foot in the door, the Rebbe couldn't close the door. And they came into the Rebbe and they told the Rebbe that the Rebbe is not feeling well, he needs to be examined. And it was quite clear to the doctors, even prior to the examination, that the Rebbe needed to go to a hospital. And the Rebbe insists that he's okay and he's fine, and that in the morning he'll be uh, besaded. I heard that in Shul, somebody came over to the Rebbe with orange juice, because a person who has a heart problem needs to have citrus fruits. And the Rebbe says, it's before Kiddush and I'm out of the sukkah. <laughs> so um, that wouldn't make Kiddush. That Vila, somebody ran and got that Ebbetson. And that Ebbetson came from President Street. And she was in 770 almost immediately. And she stayed there for a very, very long time. And she, when the Ebbetson arrived, she took over the show. And that's really part of the miracle, Tashlam says, that Ebbetson showed herself to be a bigger chassid than all the chassidim in terms of her willingness to go along with the Rebbe. And with all the Rebbe's, uh, really, akshanas, stubbornness, principle, the way the Rebbe saw how things should be.
And the Rebbe wanted to make Kiddush. They wanted to the sukkah to make Kiddush. The sukkah in front of 770. The Rebbe wanted to the sukkah with him, if I understand correctly. The Rebbe made Kiddush. They brought the Rebbe grape juice. And the Rebbe said, this is not wine, this is juice. They made Kiddush on wine. Then he drank a, a considerable amount of orange juice. And he went back into 770. Now understand that all of the Hasidim had gathered outside. There were hundreds and hundreds of people standing in front of 770 wanting to know what was going on and how the Rebbe was feeling. And the Rebbe turned around and he saw all the Hasidim. So the Rebbe encouraged the singing with his hand, but with incredible energy. And again, in hindsight, if we understood the Rebbe's physical condition, it was an incredibly, incredibly difficult, unstrenginish, and at great personal cost. The Rebbe really, really wasn't feeling well. I mean, he had one heart attack and he was in in the process of having a second one. The Rebbe went back into 770, and um, a whole diyun began about taking the Rebbe to the hospital. First of all, the announcement that was given outside was, I think Rabbi Hecht went outside and announced that the Rebbe is feeling well, and the Rebbe wants everybody to go home and enjoy Simchas Yom Tif, and that the Rebbe will be okay in the morning. People should leave. I don't know if everybody left. I guess some people left, and some people walked to the oil. You know that? They walked to the oil. From Friedrich and Rebbe, from oil on Yom Tif. It's, it's a many, many hours, six or seven hours. They walked to the hill and then they walked back or however they got back, but they got back. Um, and a whole diyun immediately began about the question of the Rebbe going to the hospital. They got some good doctors, very, very good doctors, some famous cardiologists who lived in New York came to see the Rebbe. They examined the Rebbe and all of them said that the Rebbe had a heart attack and that this is a warning and that there's going to be a much more severe heart attack and that the Rebbe must be moved to hospital because it's Mamish Pekoch Nefesh. And a number of doctors, I don't know their names, but I'm sure there are people who do, when they heard how the Rebbe is refusing, they said to the Rebbe, you're taking your own life into your own hands, and if you refuse to listen to our uh, medical instructions and proposals, we're leaving. And they left. So that's part of the reason they had to get Dr. Weiss from Chicago, that they find a doctor who was crazy enough to go along with whatever it was that the Rebbe wanted. You know, you're going to heal the Rebbe according to the Rebbe's specifications. <laughs> That's how the Rebbe was healed. And as it turned out, it wasn't only in Das Elian, it was in Das Tachtenposh, the Rebbe The Rebbe understood his medical condition as well as anybody else. Um, now, a few things happened that are very powerful. One is the following. Rabbonim wanted to go into the Rebbe and Paskin that halachically the Rebbe has to listen to the doctors and go to the hospital. So I heard that Rabbi Zalman Shimon came in, he was the Rav here, at the head of a delegation of Rabbonim, I don't know who else was there, but there were some very choshva Rabbonim, who as a group came in, and they passed him, they wanted to tell the Rebbe that they are insisting as a Rabbonim they should go to the hospital. When they walked into the Rebbe, the Rebbe looked at them, and the Rebbe told them, I don't want to go, so don't say it. Meaning to say that if you're going to pass him, he will listen to them, and they'll be against the Ratzna of the Rebbe. So they didn't pass him. They didn't pass him. And the Rebbe stayed in 770. Another interesting thing was that once it was realized that the Rebbe wasn't going to the hospital, they brought the hospital to the Rebbe. This was truly a remarkable thing. Rashag, the Rebbe's brother, got on the phone. He had some major connections. And he got literally state-of-the-art, the best, the best, the most new, the most modern machines for a heart issues that was available at the time. And I heard that people brought ba- bags of cash, to pay for these machines. The machines were set up in the hallway of 770 within hours. Later on, the doctors said if they had known that they could bring the hospital to the Rebbe, they would never have asked to move the Rebbe because the worst thing to do with a patient is move them. And as it turned out, they literally, instead of the Rebbe going to the hospital, the hospital was brought to 770. And um, the doctors finally were able to examine the Rebbe. They saw the Rebbe's medical condition. And they had to discuss everything with the Rebbe. And some treatments the Rebbe approved of, other treatments the Rebbe didn't approve of. They couldn't do anything in terms of treating the Rebbe without the Rebbe agreeing that this is what they should do. At a certain point, they wanted the Rebbe to sleep. And the Rebbe was given a sleep medication. And the Rebbe refused to sleep. I mean, they, they, they gave him the kind of medicine that puts a person to sleep, and the Rebbe is awake. And he eventually told the doctors that he will not sleep unless they promise him that they will not move him. And the doctors promised that they won't move him. A bunch of doctors were left, who promised that they won't move him. In the meantime, they had called Chicago. He came in the next day, the next morning. This is Mendel, went to pick him up from the airport. An Yomtev, how do you recognize a from a Yid in an airport on Yomtev? 
It's a signal, whatever. He was, he, I guess he wasn't carrying anything. It was Yomtif. He couldn't have fun. He was the Rebbe's doctor. For simply because no other doctor was prepared to put up with a Rebbe who knows better than the doctors how he should be treated. And the Rebbe finally fell asleep. The Rebbe slept for four hours. And the Rebbetzin commented, this is the story that goes around, that he, she was married to the Rebbe at that time, almost 50 years. She'd never seen him sleep so much. Four hours. Fir I had never seen the Rebbe sleep so much. That's what the Rebbetzin was commenting. Now, once the Rebbe fell asleep, this is a story that I heard two versions of. One version of Chaim Gutnik of Hashem related in public, that uh, when the Rebbe fell asleep, so they turned to the Rebbetzin, and they said to the Rebbetzin, the Rebbe needs to go to the hospital. And the Rebbe was promised that they're not going to move him. There was only one person who could overrule, override that promise. And that is her, the Rebbe. And they therefore asked that the Rebbe would agree that they should move the Rebbe against his wishes. And she said no. So they said to the Rebbe, but his life is in danger. And she said, I, I don't care. I will not do something against the wishes of my husband. And you see, on a psychological level, the Rebbe is a man of incredible uh, personal strength. You know, the Rebbe is not used to having anybody taking his will away from him. Physically, taking away the Rebbe's will could have made him sick. That alone, just the fact that you're taking away a, a, a human being who has such incredible will, whose whole identity is this incredible strength of will and personality and individuality, really. Uh, you take that away from him, it's, it's, it's critical. It's very, very serious. But the Rebbe said, I'm not going to defy my husband. You promised him you're not moving him, I'm not moving him. So they told the Rebetzin that uh, he'll be upset initially, but later on when he'll feel better, he'll be uh, indebted to you because we'll save his life. And the Rebetzin said, I don't want to upset my husband even temporarily. But they said to her, but his life is in danger. And she says, I've been married to him 50 years. Listen to this. I have never upset him. And I'm not going to upset him now. Can you imagine? I've been married to this man for fi- virtually 50 years. I never upset him. And I'm not going to upset him now. So they told her, you'll upset him temporarily. And she said, anyway, that's one version of the story. Another version of the story I heard from somebody who was actually there. And he described it in this way. They, the Rebetzin, the Rebetzin spent a lot of time in the Rebetzin room. You know, there's, there's actually pictures of the Rebetzin going into the Rebetzin years before to talk to the Rebetzin. The Rebetzin used to show the Rebetzin sometimes his correspondence. So if you've ever seen the inside of the Rebetzin room, there are bookshelves on two walls. When you walk into the Rebbe's room, there's bookshelves to the right and bookshelves to the left. On the, what is, well, I guess what we would call the, um, the uh, southern wall and the western wall. The Rebbe sits with his back to the east. But right next to the door, there's a, a place for light switches. And there's enough room for a chair. The Rebbe sat down in that spot and she um, directed traffic. Groner, <laughs> Rabbi Klein, that's how she referred to them. Groner, Rabbi Klein, that's how she addressed them. And she uh, took over the program. So I heard from somebody who was standing outside in the hallway and listened to the exchange between the doctors and the Rebetzin. And they were saying to the Rebetzin that the Rebbe needs to be moved and his life is in danger and that she has to impose her will on her husband. Just tell her husband what she wants. And she said very curtly, Was mein man will, will ich. What my husband wants, that's what I want. Conversation over. People forgot that she was a Schneerson from birth too. She didn't just marry Schneerson. Was mein man will, now another interesting thing that I heard was they brought down a bed from upstairs there's different versions to the story and recently somebody told me that it was clear that I had to stay in 770 they went to get a bed and the Rashad's wife told them which bed they should take they were going to take a different bed and she directed them to take the bed that the Friedrich Rebbe had slept on to her credit she understood and apparently it was a medical bed of some sort the same bed that the Rebbe had used that no one had not slept in she understood that the Rebbe's not going to lay down in somebody else's bed and I, if I understand correctly she insisted on making the bed herself she wouldn't let anybody else make the bed um, and the Rebbe slept for four hours during the course of the night the Rebbe was being monitored on a cardiogram some kind of a machine that was in the hallway and the doctor saw the onset of the second heart attack and the Rebbe was alone in his room and the lights were off, it was quiet. And one of the doctors walked into the Rebbe and asked the Rebbe if it's okay that he gives him an injection. And he explained to the Rebbe that the Rebbe was having a heart attack. And the Rebbe permitted, they gave him some kind of an injection. 
The second heart attack was much, much more severe than the worst, the first. Much more severe than the first. And it was a big nest. And the Rebbe Pashat survived it. I heard from a, a person who heard from Rabbi Groner that months later, months later, they were feeling much better. The Rebbe says to Label Groner, you kept walking in. <laughs> you kept on walking in while I was asleep. Why you were continuously walking in? And uh, Rabbi Groner doesn't say anything. And the Rebbe says, I'll tell I know why you were continuously walking in. They were literally expecting Nachman the worst. And, and the Rebbe says, no, you see? <laughs> yeah. The Rebbe told Label months later. I heard from some of the six out o'clock in the morning, the Rebbe got out of bed. He had to go, he had to go somewhere, he took a walk. And the cardiogram started to go crazy. And the, uh, the fact that the Rebbe was able to stand up, a person has two heart attacks like that, they're almost like a rag. The, the degree of fatigue, the degree of exhaustion that overtakes a person makes them literally immobile. They cannot move. The Rebbe took it, went through, he had to go, he came back, laid back in bed, you know. This is, this is especially the physical strength of the Rebbe, and I think more than the physical strength of the Rebbe, the person will, the incredible willpower of the Rebbe. Now, uh, we found out that the Rebbe had a heart attack. It wasn't Stamazei, it wasn't feeling well. And naturally, the mood was very, very depressed, very, very concerned. And the Rebbe sent repeated messages that if people are worried about his health, they should be Moisif and Simchas Yomtif, because the thing that's going to cure him is Simchas Yomtif, the joy of Chesidim. He also made it very clear that the regular tradition of going to the shoals to be Misamei should continue, they should go to the shoals and dance, and this is the best thing for his refuah And if you remember that time, they actually cordoned off the back half of 770 from uh, over here, from that pole, let's say, they put tables. And the tables went outside all the way till the corner. They blocked off a large area to create an environment where it should be a little bit more quiet. So the back of 770 and also the front of 770 outside it was all cordoned off. It was, you know, so the Rebbe had a little peace and quiet, but it was plenty noisy, you know, especially by night when they had the hakafas and so forth. Shminat Tzeref in the morning, they made a minion outside the Rebbe's room, and the Rebbe listened to Kriya Satera, if I'm not mistaken, sitting in bed, sitting up in bed. That was very, very Ergeshwa. And I heard that Noch and I forgot if the Rebbe got Maftir or not. I think Simchas Tzeref, the Rebbe got Naliyah, but I don't know about Shminat Tzeref. I heard that after davening on Shemina Tzeres, Rabbi Kazanovsky went into the Rebbe to wish the Rebbe back in Kazanovsky was a very special man. He was really a big chassid and a big mokushet. And he went into the Rebbe and he was crying. And the Rebbe says to him, if you're worried about my health, what you're doing is the antithesis, is the exact opposite of what will contribute to my... If you're worried about my health, you have to be besimcha. That's the only thing that's going to affect a positive outcome in me. And again, the Rebbe kept on reiterating this uh, message. And of course, we went to the, the people, the Bacharim went to the different shuls, to Misamei Achidin, um, and to do as the Rebbe said. But naturally, the mood was incredibly bittersweet. It wasn't, you know, people were not happy. You know, the Rebbe was not well. People had no idea how ill the Rebbe was, and people had no idea what the future would be. And I guess it was better that we didn't know, because at that time, it was a very, very, very uh, small. It was a very, the Rebbe was really, really not well. Um... And Yom Tov went on. At a certain point, I think it was at night of Simchas Teda, I could be wrong. We were dancing in Shul, and it was a very, very weird kind of a coffice. I mean, I was a boy, I was only 12. And to be very, very honest, I was quite immature. In other words, I'm sure there were other 12-year-olds who felt a lot more what was going on than I did. But it was a very strange atmosphere. People were dancing, singing, and crying. That was the mood. And at a certain point, they came down with a message from upstairs. And if I'm not mistaken, I remember them announcing that the Rebbe is feeling better and everybody was so excited and so happy and so on. But the, the story was that one of the doctors was giving the Rebbe an injection. And uh, the Rebbe was watching him draw the medicine out of the little vials, little glass bottles. So the Rebbe asked him how you draw the substance, the solution from the bottle into the syringe. Because, you know, it's, it's not gravity. It's not, it's not gravity because the hole in the needle is so small. And the answer, of course, is it creates a suction. So the Rebbe asked him, is a suction a force, a negative force, or a suction simply a vacuum? 
In other words, is there a principle of a suction that the nature of space is that it needs to be filled? And if you have what's called high pressure and low pressure, there's a natural tendency for the area of low pressure to be filled by something because space by nature does not want to be empty. So the question he asked was, is there a force that pulls the fluid into the syringe or is it simply the fact that the syringe has less substance in it than the bottle which causes the fluid to be drawn into the syringe based on the principle of no space wants to be empty. And I'm sure that everyone knew the answer to that question. But he wanted the doctor to tell him. And the doctor said it's simply the vacuum, the emptiness. The fact that the syringe is empty, in other words, it's a lower pressure area than the bottle from which the fluid is being drawn. So naturally the fluid goes into a space where there's, it's easier for it to occupy the space because there's less, uh, so to speak, pressure. So the Rebbe said this is the lesson. The lesson is that the simple fact that the Rebbe isn't present creates the strengthening of the Kesher we will see them in the Rebbe and the Rebbe had Rabbi Groner or somebody repeat this thought downstairs to the Chesidim Tanash that that the very the simple fact that the Rebbe is not present is what brings strength to the connection with the Chesidim and the Rebbe and it affects the Rebbe's help so we danced we danced all night Simchas Teda and of course uh, the doctors kept asking the Rebbe if it's noisy and if it bothers the Rebbe they can empty 770 everybody can go down in another shoals and the Rebbe's response was that this is music to my ears. The Rebbe insisted that the dancing should continue. And he said that he's, it, it, forget, it's in his best interest to hear this, this uh, Nagina, it's music to his ears. Uh, Simchas Tehra, the Rebbe was feeling a little bit better. He was still very weak. I think the Rebbe got Naliyah. Also, if I'm not mistaken, the Rebbe got Naliyah sitting up. And Matzah Simchas Tehra, the Rebbe made Abdullah. And he sent down... Uh, the remaining wine from Havdalah for Keshav Bracha. Rabbi Chadokov came downstairs with the wine from the Rebbe's Becher to give everybody Keshav Bracha. And Rabbi Chadokov added that it's possible that later tonight there would be a surprise. That's what Rabbi Chadokov said at the time. It's possible that later tonight there would be a surprise. The surprise was that a little bit before midnight the Rebbe actually spoke. Um, the Rebbe asked the doctor's permission to speak. Now, I'm not a cardiologist. I, Baruch Hashem, know absolutely nothing about uh, heart problems, and I hope I never find out. But apparently, speech is the single most difficult thing for a person to do after a heart attack. It's easier to do physical exercise than to speak. And the doctors said to the Rebbe that it was out of the question. <laughs> and the Rebbe said, I'm a Rebbe, my job is to speak, I want to speak. So he asked the Rebbe, how long do you want to speak for? And the average response was me. <laughs> I can talk indefinitely. I will never run out of material. As long as they have noise, they can keep talking. So the doctors allowed the rabbi to speak for seven minutes. So the rabbi proceeded to speak for half an hour. And there's a tape of the rabbi that talk. It's very, very emotional. The rabbi cried. And they once had the living Torah. They once had pictures. You see pictures of 770. The rabbi's chair set up. And everyone standing around. And the chair is obviously empty. And the rabbi spoke from upstairs. For half an hour. And in that talk, he repeated that same idea that I mentioned earlier where the Rebbe said that the fact that the Rebbe is missing from amongst the Hasidim immediately creates a renewed sense of keshef, okay, that makes it even stronger, the connection between Hasidim and the Rebbe. And in that half an hour, the Rebbe spoke all the things he would speak in a fabreng. It was a short maimir, which the Rebbe asked Rabbi Khan to write and to develop, and the Rebbe edited that maimir. The Rebbe spoke about the regular miftsoyim, all the different things that the Rebbe would speak about which lasts five or six hours the Rebbe crunched into a half an hour and the Rebbe actually edited that sikha. during that winter there was a huge increase in the frequency of edited material from the Rebbe and he was just trying to let people know that they shouldn't think for any moment that there's a, there's a, 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 decrease, a, a decreasing of, of involvement after Lamed Ches the Rebbe added more than he had done before the next morning, the Rebbe asked for the mail. The next morning, the Rebbe asked for the mail. Mail. The Rebbe used to get bags of mail. Bags of mail. Hundreds of letters a day. And remember, the Rebbe opened every letter himself. There was no such thing as a secretary. Nobody opened the Rebbe's mail. The Rebbe had that mail opener. He would flip open the envelope himself. The Rebbe would read all the letters. And if you wrote him a letter and you had empty space in the bottom of a page, they would cut off the empty space and save it as scrap. They never didn't throw away envelopes. He used the inside of envelopes for scrap because it's not efficient. It's, it's waste. I mean, they never, he would cut off. When people wrote letters to the Rebbe, they were always told, make sure that you fill the whole page. 
Because if you left space, it would cut off the bottom of the space, otherwise it's a waste. Can you imagine? So one of the doctors suggested to the Rebbe that he should wait a couple of weeks. Let him recuperate. In a couple of weeks, and the Rebbe said, wait a couple of weeks, there'll be an increase of volume of mail, which will cause me to be sick again. I, if I'm to stay healthy, I need to deal with my mail as it comes in. And I, I don't know for sure, but I think the Rebbe prevailed. He got his mail and he answered letters. My understanding is that people understood themselves that they should wait with letters of a not urgent nature for a shtickle tzayt to give the Rebbe a chance to recuperate. But the Rebbe started answering mail right away. And of course, as I told you, the Rebbe started Yemot speaking Sichis, Matzah Shabbos, I think Matzah Shabbos. Bereshah said the Rebbe spoke again. And again, there was a Maimir from his room. And the Rebbe edited the Maimir of the Sichis that he spoke that Matzah Shabbos. And it became a new Seder. That almost every Matzah Shabbos we would come to 770 and the Rebbe would speak a Sichis. So at first they were short, half an hour, 45 minutes. Within weeks, I was a boy, Chadnish Fashtanen. I remember the Rebbe talking over two hours. Non-stop. He didn't stop to drink water. There was no lechayim. You know, Fabrengen has interruptions. <laughs> non-stop. Non-stop. There's a maimed. The Rebbe said, Takapashas Vayetzi. Vishafti Bisholem. The maimed is published. The maimed is 20 pages long. The Rebbe spoke a maimed two hours. And there was also Vayeda, if I'm not mistaken. The Rebbe spoke a very, very long sicha about the shtochem. Right after the heart attack, they found nothing better to talk about than the, the, the question of land for peace, which was a pretty much a new question that started the summer before, in 1977. Noch the heart attack, that's when the Rebbe cup. And the sikhs became incredibly long. Like a whole fabrengen. Just, you know, if I can't say l'chaim and sit with the chassidim and breathe, I'll keep talking. That's what happened. But the Rebbe stayed in 770. Dr. Weiss came and he oversaw the Rebbe's medical care, but I don't think he stayed for very long. Shalom, Dr. Resnick came and he stayed with the Rebbe from right after Simchas Teira till the, till the Rebbe went home. He moved into 770. He lived in the in the, what's called David Raskin's room, and uh, he was constantly monitoring the Rebbe. Now, Dr. Resnick was in the U.S. Army at the time. He was a doctor. He's a cardiologist. But he was also, in the, he, was, he was practicing as a doctor. He was, he was uh, in the service. I think he was stationed in Hawaii. I don't know how they found him and who, who knew him. Like Resnick is a Frumadid. He's a modern Orthodox Jew. He's a, and they wanted him to come and take care of the Rebbe. But he was in the army and they wanted the army should release him. And the army said no. So they went to Washington. Jimmy Carter was president. And um, <laughs> Avraham Shemtiv uses connections in Washington to get, not Resnick, an exemption from the army, but a transfer. In other words, that part of his service in the United States Army would be to see to, see to the Rebbe's health. And when he was asked by the highest officials in Washington, who was your Rebbe, so he said it's like the equivalent of a half dollars if the Pope would need care and he wasn't given an, a, a leave from the United States Army this was his commission as a serviceman in the United States Army to spend these five weeks overseeing the Rebbe's health think about it and um, I, I, nobody knows what happened they locked up 770 the opposite was unavailable completely he would take walks with the Rebbe in the hallway exercise every single day and they talked he developed a relationship with the Rebbe. Then Fabrach said, they talked, they schmoozed about all kinds of things. And of course, the Rebbe blew him away. It's not just the Rebbe's godless and Tater, but the Rebbe understood what he was doing better, as well as he did, and so forth. And they had the, they, there was a very special connection. I don't know if this is true, but I, I, I call that they would walk on Easter Parkway also. Is that true? They needed somebody. The question is, why him? And my understanding was they needed somebody who could be with the Rebbe 24 hours a day. And he, he fit that bill for various reasons. He was young enough and fresh enough and at the same time qualified enough not to just visit the Rebbe and examine the Rebbe, but to push it be with the Rebbe. And that's my understanding, but I don't know. That's what I understand. Anyway, the Rebbe was in 770. Now the Rebbetson, who above all else, had been cooperating with the Rebbe and letting the Rebbe do whatever he wanted, whether it made sense or it didn't make sense, whether it was medically rational or not, finally made a request. She asked that the Rebbe not go to the Oihel. 
Rebbe would go to the El Rebbe Erev Rishchidosh, and she asked that the Rebbe should skip that Erev Rishchidosh. I, I don't know how many trips that the Rebbe missed, but I understand the Rebbe missed more than one. Maybe the first trip was Hanukkah, Yutas Kislev. He didn't go to the oil a few times. And the Rebbe acquiesced. And this the Rebbe gave in. He would skip his trip to the oil, that Erev Rishchidosh question, which is a big deal. And when they asked the Rebbe how he was feeling, so he answered... How do you mean? Physically or spiritually? He says, physically I feel fine. Spiritually I'm a bit, a bit let down that I have to skip my trip to the Oyel. That's what the Rebbe said. <coughs> now, there are stories. When these stories happened exactly, we don't know. But one of these stories, of course, is that one of the doctors was sitting and talking to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe asked him, what is the likelihood of there being a recurrence of this event, of the heart attack? And uh, the doctor said to the Rebbe that there's a 25% chance that it would reoccur. And the Rebbe suddenly became very thoughtful. So thoughtful that the doctor wasn't even sure if the Rebbe heard what he said. So we asked the Rebbe, did you hear what I said? He says, yeah, I heard you said there's a 75% likelihood that it will not reoccur. <laughs> you understand? It was my tongue, yeah? And then there are a few other stories that are quite famous. Um, one of the stories is this. Now, there's different versions to the story, but it seems quite agreeable that the story is true. The story involves Dr. Feldman. And um, this is a story that I heard. I, I think this story is the closest to the truth, although I once directly asked him this and he denied it. But I understand that under the influence of Machayim, he told this story. The Rebbe was being monitored constantly by a cardiogram, by a machine. And the Rebbe's heart was old. The Rebbe had an old heart. He was an old man. And it was difficult to watch the Rebbe's heart, especially when the Rebbe was talking, because you could see the abnormal abnormalities, the anomalies in the heart rate as the Rebbe strained himself. One Matzah Shabbos, the Rebbe said a Maimed, and his heart was like the heart of a young man. This is the version of the story that I think is the truth. I'll soon tell you the other version, but I think this story is the, the right version. In other words, for, for a very long time, and I suspect it was the Maimah Veshafti Bisholom, which was two hours, the Rebbe suddenly had a heart rate of a young person. Didn't, there was no abnormalities. A heart had a regular steady beat like a younger man. When the Rebbe finished the Maimah, his heart began, went back to the heart of a 77-year-old. So this is a story that Dr. Feldman watched this. And after the Maimed, he was so moved, it was Mamsha Ness, so he simply wanted to walk into the Rebbe's room and take a look at him. And he opened the door and the Rebbe says to him, Dr. Feldman, you like my medicine? <laughs> Dr. Feldman, you like my medicine? There's another story also, which, which I also heard from Dr. Feldman, that Dr. Feldman used to say always, it says always that the Rebbe told him that his medicine is Simcha. Joy, Simcha is. The Rebbe would repeat that to him often, and so later Simcha's Teira. The Rebbe was very besimcha, and they were worried about his health. And the Rebbe said to Dr. Feldman, "Do you like my medicine, the medicine of Simcha?" This is the story he told me, but apparently this story is also true. The other version of the story is that the Rebbe's heart went completely bananas. It was a totally abnormal heart rate for the duration of the Maimon. As soon as the Maimon was finished, the heart rate returned to normal. But this, I believe that this is the the correct version of the story. I mean, listen, Hasidim believe. Anything great about the Rebbe we believe, but this is the version of the story that I believe is true. He didn't tell it to me. I heard it in his name. I want to go back a little bit, and I want to talk to you about the reaction. The, 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 the outpouring of love to the Rebbe then was universal. Mamish, the way people reacted. The whole Klal Yisrael felt that this is their own personal tzad, and there was a, the love that was felt to the Rebbe then was really, really very, very widely felt and uh, it brought an incredible outpouring of love from all stripes I'll just tell you an interesting thing in Los Angeles at that time lived the Ribnitz Rebbe the Ribnitz Rebbe was a real tzaddik he was a Baruch HaKadosh a real tzaddik and he was in Russia for many years he came out of Russia in the early 1970s and he actually had initially when he first came a Yechidus for the Rebbe and uh, he had a Siddur and Netanya which the Rebbe had sent him to Russia and that was the only thing he would daven out of he davened until the day he passed away from that same little city that the Rebbe gave him in Russia. You know, the story was that the Shliach came to the Rimitzah Rebbe in Russia with a Siddur and a Tanya, thinking that the Rebbe sending him two artifacts, he'll keep the Tanya for himself and he'll give him only the Siddur. 
So when he had the Dribbin Salah, but the Siddha, the Dribbin Salah said, he didn't give you anything else. <laughs> there wasn't more to it. So yeah, yeah, I forgot. It was a Tadios. He was living in LA, and Beryl Weiss had a guy phone, a guy there to inform him. And the Dribbin Salah was told that the Rebbe is not feeling well. And don't forget, Los Angeles is three hours behind us. So they were in the middle of our coffers. Should not say this? And he became hysterical. He took off his big day Shabbos. He put on his big day hall. And he cried and he said, Tillam, I, I don't know how this is believable. Till the end of Simchas I don't know if this means 48 hours of succession. Although with the Rebbe Rebbe, there's nothing. The man was Mechalal Yomtev. There was no Yomtev. The Lubavitch Rebbe doesn't feel well. Much of Simchas he got a phone call that the Rebbe is feeling better. He put back on his big day Shabbos and he brought the It's a nice story. And like I said, Lababachach Sidim are never satisfied. You know, you're never, never good. You're not enough a big enough cost no matter what you do. But this is a beautiful, it's a powerful story. The Kohen Rabbis, there were many such stories. And the Rabbi actually wrote a letter, Shili Tishri, a week later, in which he wrote, and apparently this was a letter which he wrote to many people. And the spirit of the letter is, I am feeling better in this chus of the tefillis of thousands of Jews who davened on my behalf. And although all of us understand that the Rebbe's Refuah Shleima has many dimensions, but this dimension is true. There was an incredible outpouring of love and prayer for the Rebbe. And the Rebbe writes in that letter that his Refuah Shleima has to a very great extent to do with the fact that so many Jews daven for his Hachlamah, for his Refuah Shleima. By no means only Lubavitch Shechsidim. By no means. Anyway, Chaydesh Chesh was in 770. And if I understand correctly, there was no minion. At a certain point, they created a system where the Rebbe was living upstairs. In Shabbos, there was a minion in this small zal which the Rebbe would join. And you were able to participate in the Rebbe's minion on a rotation. They had an alphabetic rotation. Every week, a different us of Alabes would give Bishon Dabba the Rebbe upstairs in this small zal. And the Rebbe essentially did not come downstairs. The Rebbe stayed upstairs. And there were these Master Shabbos de Kesiches that I described to you uh, before. Sometime during the end of the month, I think it was Chavzayin Cheshvan, but it could have been Chavcheshvan, near the end of Cheshvan, something very meaningful occurred. When the Friedrich Rebbe left Russia, a substantial portion of his library was left behind. The Friedrich Rebbe shipped his whole library to New York in 20 chests, in 20 big boxes. 19 arrived. And the 20th did not arrive. The tragedy was that that 20th chest was all the manuscripts. The Svarim arrived. The Ksavim didn't. Half of the Ksavim were discovered in a museum in, in a Varsha. The other half of that box is being found now in, I think, Moscow or Leningrad. And it's slowly being trickled out. All kinds of writings for Fidik and Rebbe. Parenthetically, Agav, there's a letter for the Fidik Rebbe which he writes to the Rebbe in 1935, 44, right? He says, I had so many Rishimas, and I don't know where they are. It's such a disappointment. The Fidik Rebbe had a diary, which he wrote from the age of 12. The vast majority, Rubik Kekuli, of that diary is lost. We don't even know where it is. And apparently it wasn't lost in route from Europe to America. The Fidik Rebbe says he lost it before. He doesn't even know where it is. this is. It's misplaced. It's a tragedy, but the Fidik Rebbe had a diary, kept a diary every day. We have bits and pieces which are being discovered and being published as we find them, but the, the bulk of that diary, which would be tens of thousands of papers, we don't have. And he's lamenting it in the 30s yet, while still living in Europe, before the Holocaust, before the World War II. And they found the, in Varsha this archive of Mamore. And The way they found it was, because people were coming to 770 with Bichlach of Chesidus, Selling them to Lubavitch. And the Rebbe says, they're selling his bich, these are ours. It's like a gambit. This is, I, the Rebbe had, had worked a lot on the Fidik Rebbe's library in Europe, and a lot of them had the Rebbe's notes. And what they would do, these booksellers, it's a very corrupt business, they would rip a book in half, so that they could sell it as two books and charge twice. They would sometimes singe the edges to make it look more valuable, and destroying Bosh the Ksav. And, uh, and the Rebbe was very upset that he has to buy back his own Ksavim from uh, people that were his. And eventually they traced it to the library in Varsha. And in Lamedal, 1974, several people went to Varsha and they microfilmed that entire archive. And in 1977, the Polish government agreed to give it to us as a 99-year loan. If American friends of Lubavitch would officially thank the public, Polish government. So in three 
I think the New York Times and the Washington Post and Los Angeles Times were full-page ads from American friends of Lubavitch thanking the Polish government and their help in retrieving the Ksavim. The Ksavim arrived in Cheshvan that year. It was the first time they ever walked out of 770. They ever walked to the library. This is a few days where they've been They stood, stood for four hours examining the Ksavim. And there were people with him and Rebbe was explaining to them what they were because the Rebbe himself had invested a lot, a lot of time in organizing this library of manuscripts. I'm talking about Svarim. Kisreyat Kedesh or at least copies uh, during the Polish years, during the years before the war. And people say that the Rebbe, you could watch him recover as he held those Ksavim. They said, and give him mamish, chayes. It was so it, you know, this is the Rebbe's life, Chesidus. You know, the Maestad, the Alter Rebbe, the Mitle Rebbe. Alter Rebbe passed away, the Mitle Rebbe kept on fainting until they put in front of him a Sefer, a Ksav, that when he opened his eyes, the first thing he saw was the Alter Rebbe's Chesidus. So he said, Mr. Domit Vos we have with what to live, you understand. Three days later, the Rebbe went home. Rishchidosh Kislev. And rumors spread that the Rebbe is planning to go home. So even before the Rebbe left, the party started. When the Rebbe walked out of his room, the party was in full swing. The mamish, the mashas regosan vivaser, some seven years on wheels, and the Rebbe acknowledged this incredible celebration. And one of the more beautiful parts of this story is that the Rebbe went home, and the Rebbe stayed in seven seventies by the front window watching the celebration. Some say that the Rebbe saw for the first time the incredible love that Chassidim have to the Rebbe which to her was a very meaningful thing. The Rebbe went home, she stayed for four hours and watched. She joined the Rebbe many hours later, she watched the celebration. They made a coffers, it was uh, unbelievable. On the street? Who walked and, uh, the Rebbe? The coffers were inside, but they danced in front of 770 also. The Rebbe walked by himself, there was no Malave? No, he walked. Did the Rebbe, did the Rebbe ever have a Malave? Anybody ever walk beside the Rebbe, ever? <laughs> um, so this became the story, Shredish Kislev. And I believe from that point on, the Rebbe made it, he would go home every day and then later on the Rebbe re- re- continued to walk back and forth to the for a couple more years uh, yeah I'm, st- I'm, I'm gonna stop soon yeah 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 um, um, and later the Rebbe proceeded continued his old tradition of walking home for a few more years the Rebbe walked home I don't know when it was physically pushed it impossible for the Rebbe to walk and the Rebbe began to travel and then eventually the Rebbe even stopped walking home Shabbos he started staying in his room and then eventually they built a library so this is the Yom Tov of Rishchidosh Kislev. The first time that I became downstairs was Yitesh Kislev. This was a Fabrengen. I was a kid, and honestly, really, shamefully, not tuned in enough, whatever the reasons were, but I remember wanting to see the Rebbe. I hadn't seen the Rebbe in two months, you know. And looking at him, and I remember telling my father, he looks the same to me. <laughs> the Rebbe said, a mime is a Fabrengen, a regular Fabrengen. I think he went until 2.30. I just remember one thing that Dr. F- Dr. Weiss was sitting and the Rebbe told him to say L'chaim. The Rebbe made his hand with his cup and he held it with his other hand like as if taking a pulse he should say L'chaim. The Rebbe was being monitored that Fabreng and it was very exciting to see the Rebbe. The next time the Rebbe came downstairs was Mestame uh, for Fabreng and was Yutrat. Shabbos, the Fabreng did not resume for two years. Um, and then of course there's the famous event of Hanukkah. The Rebbe called him Rabbi Hecht, Lavashom, J.J. Hecht. And the Rebbe told him, and he laughed. I'm looking for a person who knows how to get things done, but knows how to keep a secret. And he laughed, because he knew full well, J.J. Hecht knows how to get things done, but he doesn't know how to keep secrets. <laughs> and the Rebbe told him, there's three levels in a person who keeps secrets. One person, he has a secret and everybody knows. And if you squeeze him, he'll tell you. Another person, he has a secret and everybody knows he has a secret, but if you're going to squeeze him, he will not tell you. And the third person has a secret and nobody knows he has it. And the Rebbe told him that he wants to make a fabrengen, Zeis Chanukah, and he wishes to wash and to bench and to give Keshel Bracha to make up for Simchas Teireh. And he asked Rabbi Hech to get bottles of mashke and wine, but he doesn't want the mosquitoes to know. Because the secretariat is going to know they're going to put all kinds of pressure on the Rebbe to talk him out of it. And he doesn't want to be talked out of it. So the Rebbe doesn't want them to know. The whole thing should be a surprise. The mosquitoes shouldn't have a chance to change the Rebbe's plans. So Rabbi Hecht asked the Rebbe if he could tell his son who was learning in Maristan. Rebbe said, if you're telling the Bacharim, you might as well announce it in Australia. It's, it's finished. So, so he asked the Rebbe if he can tell his brother, Avram Hecht. So the Rebbe said, yeah, he can tell his brother. And of course, Avram Hecht came to 770 and everyone wanted to know what he was doing. 
all the yeshivas from all over. The Maristan was here. However, they got here. He didn't exactly keep a secret. The last people to find out were the Rebbe's secretaries. And there was a Fabrengen. Now, there's an interesting story attached to this. That Hecht went to a liquor store owner who was a Jew of Alamosafis, whose wife was not well. And she was very sick. And he said to Hecht, that my wife's illness is personal. The Rebbe's illness is everybody's. It's much more important that the Rebbe should have a full shlema than my wife. And he gave him all the alcohol, all the mashke, uh, as a gratuity, for free. The Rebbe, of course, insisted on paying for it. And the Rebbe told him to go tell that person that the Abish has enough gesund for himself and for his wife. And guess what? <laughs> he, he saw the mukhash. And it, it was a good deal to give the Rebbe the mashke. That made a fabrengen. The Rebbe washed the bench of the now, I don't know if it was this story. There was two stories. One was with Keshav Brach, another was with dollars. That people were being discouraged from going to take either the dollars or the Keshav Brach because of the Rebbe's health. I heard the stuff from David Raskin, that the Rebbe turned to him. He was telling people not to go, to take a dollar. And the Rebbe said, how do you know what is best for my health? Maybe for the, my health, the best thing that could be is that I should give these dollars. And, uh, and then it was very... Dis- then a couple of years later, you should know, spoke publicly... He used very strong words the effect that discouraging people from partaking of the Rebbe's benevolence in concern of his health is a shtus you know, The Rebbe told Zalman Jaffe, if you want me to live, show that you need me. Think about those words. If you want me to live, show that you need me. And uh, we were told not to bother the Rebbe. Take it or leave it. Now, one more story i got to tell you, and then I'll interrupt, and that's, of course, the story with the Zoyar. That Yankel Hecht uh, wrote to the Rebbe sometime during that winter. The Rebbe had a miraculous recovery. You know, Dr. Weiss says in one of the living Torahs, he says that the Rebbe survived with a Ness alone, but that he had such a quality of life that he went back to his entire workload that he had done before. It's A person to have gone through at that age such a severe series of heart attacks and to recover so completely is compl- it's mamish and the speed of the Rebbe's recovery completely unnatural mamish uh, anyway so Yankel Hecht of Asholem Zachem Lerocha wrote to the Rebbe I heard a story from someone who, from several people who heard it directly from him asking the Rebbe to explain to him this, the meaning of this event and the Rebbe sent him to a Zayar. now I don't know where the Zayar is I once asked one of his sons I'd love to know the, I'd like to see the Zayar inside he told look at him the Zayar tells a story about a Tane whose time came and he passed away. And he came upstairs and he told the heavenly forces that he needs more time. And there was a judgment at Diyun and they gave him more time. This is the Zayhar that the Rebbe sent Rabbi Hechter. Which, which only compounds just how unbelievable a nest. You have to move over. Just how unbelievable a nest the story was. This is the story. And the Rebbe continued doing work for many, many more years after. Now we fabrengre Shchaydish Kislev, not only because the Ebrister gave us the Rebbe for so many more years, but because we consider this day a day which is connected to the Rebbe's health now, which is a funny idea. And the only way to explain it is it has to do with the health of Hasidim. Because the very definition of a Rebbe is his iskashas to Hasidim. Just like Hasidim's definition is their iskashas to a Rebbe, a Rebbe's definition is his iskashas to his Hasidim. And that the Hasidim, based on if the Chassidim Machsidim, the Rebbe is the Rebbe. 